family who would say the same. So thank you. Now we're looking at Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had set off in a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and said, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeying your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thanks, Carol. Thanks to Sam as well for leading uh, our service. Um, so it's the start of Advent. <clears throat> and uh, in Advent, we light a candle, we light another candle next week and so on. And we think about Christ coming to us. Um, thank you, as my prop. Um, and uh, as we think about Advent, we might want to reflect on the Christmas carol, Love Came Down at Christmas Time. Because God sending his son to us is love coming down. Love, all lovely, love divine, love incarnate. 
love divine. Love coming down. And as I've been reflecting about love, I can't find a better story that epitomizes the love of God than this story here. And um, I hope you'll bear with me. Uh, It'll be a familiar story to many, but we're actually going to spend three weeks looking at this story. We call it the story of the the, the parable of the prodigal son, but it's actually a parable about the father and two sons. Uh, We're going to focus on the younger son today. So there was a man. In our world today, we're always looking for people who have a name. They're a celebrity. Are they important? Well, no, this wasn't an important man. He was just a man. But he's a very blessed man. Because he had two sons. If he'd had daughters, that would have been okay. But he had sons. So he was more blessed. (laughs) Sorry to Wayne's sister. See, if you had a son in that ancient Middle Eastern world, you, you, you're really blessed. And he's doubly blessed because he has two sons who will not only be part of his family, but also be an asset to him. They take on the family business, ultimately. Doubly blessed, this man. And he's also clearly not a poor man. Might not be fabulously wealthy, but he's not a poor man. He has means, he has an estate, he has servants. He's a man with two sons. And then we're told that the younger one comes to his father, says, Father, give me my share of the estate. I've got two sisters, and uh, my dad, our dad, is 86, but he's still very much alive and kicking. <clears throat> None of us are going to go to him and say, Dad, put your house on the market, go and live in a cardboard box, uh, you know, we'll sort you out, I guess, but see, I want your money now. I wouldn't do that to my dad. How much more shocking it was in those days for the younger son to do that to his dad. It was saying, Dad, you, I wish you were dead right now. There would have been gasps um, among the crowd as Jesus told his story. Sometimes our kids say, when you die, can I have that? <clears throat> They're just already making their lists. But I'm trusting that they don't want us dead just yet. But then we're told, even more shocking, that the father divides the property between the two sons. He should have never done that. More gasps, more shock. He should never have given in. To that. Now, to do that, he would have had to sell the property. You know, you ever seen a car gone on auto trader or something and it says you know, 
Price low for quick sale. You ever done that? Seen that? Might be something wrong with it. They just want to shift it. Or maybe they genuinely just need a quick sale. Price reduced for quick sale. That's what it would have been like for this father having to sell his estate at his son's request. Well, I, I just better get, get it sold. Won't get the best price for it, perhaps. He divides the property between them. This actually reflects very badly on the older son. Because as the older son, he should have said, wait a minute. <laughs> he should have mediated between the younger son and the father and got involved and said, no, don't do that. Dad, stop what you're doing. He should have gone to the younger son and said, stop that. You're going to dishonor dad. But the older son doesn't. And he gets his share too. And his share was bigger than the younger son's share. Now, I'm, I'm the youngest in our family, but I'm pretty confident that when Dad does eventually pop his clogs, <laughs> he'll divide the money equally between... And Nicholas, Dad is right then. When he pops his clogs, I'm sure he'll be very generous. He'll... <laughs> But I know my dad will be fair. <clears throat> but what was fair in those days was that the older would get more. He would get the lion's share. Go figure. Well, that's the way they did it. The younger son takes his share. Now, this would not have just been something they kept under wraps. You've got to understand, in that kind of world, everybody knew everything about everybody. So the whole community would have been gossiping and whispering and that younger son wouldn't have not have been able to stay put. He had to leave because everyone would have known the shame that he'd brought on his family. And so he got all his stuff together. But he lost so much even then. So he lost relationship. You know, there's a picture as he takes all his money and goes away from father. There's a picture there of so many people in our materialistic world. We take the money and we run, but we do away with relationship. Are you running away from relationship? Do you know people who run away from relationship for the money? Do you know businesses that are completely based on running away from responsibilities, and relationship and doing what you're supposed to do and just chasing the money. Does anybody, does that sound familiar to anyone <laughs> ever? That's what he did. And we sold it, he set off for a distant country <clears throat> and squandered his wealth in wild living. Now we don't know that he visited prostitutes. That's what the older son says. It might have been true, but it might not have been true. But we do know that he squandered his wealth. He chucked it all away. And what was his approach? Well, he took with him his savings. He took them with him, and what you see, if you see piggy bank, what do you do? You open up the bottom, you get your money out. And when you get your money out, <coughs> You keep on withdrawing. But he didn't put any money in the top. So what happens when you do that? 
it runs out, doesn't it? All right, before we go any further, I just want to ask you a question. I want you to help me. As the younger son is leaving and he's going off and he's spending all his money in a distant country in a wild living, why do you think he did that? Anyone have any ideas? The grass is greener somewhere else. Or is it? Mm, thank you. Yeah. He thought maybe life would be better elsewhere. Any other ideas? Pardon? He was bored. Yeah, he knew how his life was going to pan out, didn't he? He knew that he was going to be at home and he was going to follow dad and that was it. And there was just that. So maybe it was just sheer boredom. To find other work, maybe, yeah, to see what there was out there. Thank you. Oh, Catherine, he didn't know how much he was loved. Yeah, yeah. Hang on a second, Jonathan. Someone else is. Ooh, possible conflict with the older brother. See, the older brother doesn't come off very well in this story, as we'll find out in a couple of weeks. Maybe he was just a nightmare to live with. And he just wanted to get away from him. Freedom. He wanted his freedom. He wanted freedom from his culture. Freedom from uh, all the expectations. Freedom from his village. Freedom from the constraints of what was expected of him. Freedom. We're going to find out that that freedom ultimately led to slavery. It didn't lead to freedom at all. But he went in search of freedom. Thank you. A lack of close friendships and accountability. A lack of close friendships and accountability. That comes back to what Catherine said as well, isn't it? He didn't know he was loved. In his mind, he wasn't accountable. And off he went. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's right. We don't know what was going through his mind, but these are all very good suggestions and ways of interpreting this situation. So he took his piggy bank and off he went. And like we said, he withdrew from the bottom but didn't put in the top. And when you do that, you end up with none left. There's some in there, but you end up with none left. And then situations changed. There was a cost-of-living crisis in the faraway land. The rosy times came to an end. And he got desperate. There was a famine. And we're told that he hired himself out to a citizen of that country. The citizen would have been a man of means. And he hired himself out. He maybe didn't even um, get a job. He just attached himself to that man. He said, oh, I'll come and work for you. you know, let, me, let me come and do it. And eventually, like, oh, okay. The man would have thought, I know what this guy is. He's, he's the guy who's come from the Jewish land, he, he's Jewish, I know what he won't want to do. He won't want to feed pigs. <laughs> because Jewish people hate pigs. And so he gives him the job looking after pigs. But he's so desperate that he feeds pigs. 
and he longs to eat what the pigs are eating, but he couldn't digest it, so he can't. And then we're told, no one gave him anything. He went round begging. No one gave him anything. Now this man is in a distant country. Has anybody ever travelled to a distant country? Have you done that? Do you know people who've gone to live in a distant country? Yeah. <laughs> but what about the idea of a distant country as somewhere where you can actually live there even staying here in Pembury? You can be in a distant country as long as you've got a smartphone and an internet connection. You can be in the same physical room as someone else, but not there at all. You can go to that distant country searching for freedom, searching for a new identity, searching for enjoyment, something that's less boring. But when you find yourself in that distant country, there are lots of ifs. They'll like you if you've got money. They'll welcome you if you've got the right kind of face. They'll welcome you if you flash your cash. They'll welcome you if, if, if. But when the money runs out and the times turn hard, they'll turn their face away. It's a place of, un of, sorry, of conditional love. The distant country isn't the place to go looking for what you could have found at home. I want to ask how many of us spend our lives, or a lot of our lives, effectively in a distant country. What if I lived a life like somebody else? Do you ever think, I wish I had your life? I wish I was more like so-and-so. I wish I had what you have. I wish I wasn't myself. You're living in a distant country. You ever seen the film Heat? Anybody ever seen that film? classic uh, thriller <clears throat> and in it there's two, two main characters one is the cop played by Al Pacino the other one is the bad guy played by Robert De Niro and uh, Al Pacino is the hunter hunting down his prey and he'll stop at nothing to get him Robert De Niro is the hunted he's the prey uh, but he's very smart <clears throat> and, and at one point in the film they meet together in a restaurant and they have a very honest conversation with each other and Robert De Niro says, do you know, the rule I live by is that you should never get into a situation that you can't get out of within 30 seconds. Never become too attached to anyone or anything that you can't leave in 30 seconds when the heat gets too much. Trouble is, he's met someone and he likes her and he doesn't want to leave her. These two characters in that film are living in a distant country, both of them. Neither of them spend any time at home. Al Pacino's life is a car crash. They live in a distant country. Where do you live? Do you live at home? Or do you live imagining you're somewhere else? Do you travel? This man went off to a distant country and yet he got to this point of sheer desperation and we're told that he came to his senses. Literally, he came to himself. 
Do you know, coming to yourself is a really good thing to do. I actually believe you can go through most of your life without coming to your senses, <laughs> without coming to yourself. You know, I've met people who would swear blind to me that two plus two equals five. Not literally, but in that kind of thing. They, they'd be offended if I was to suggest actually two plus two equals four. I've met people like that. <clears throat> Do you remember Donald Trump? He got inaugurated. And uh, the aerial shot of the crowds clearly showed roughly how big the crowd was. But his version of events was, no, 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 no. There were a lot more people at the inauguration. The photos are lying. I have alternative facts. <laughs> when are you going to come to your senses? Do you know, <clears throat> I believe it's, it's good to become disillusioned. Did you know that? Because if we're, until we get disillusioned, we're living in an illusion. And we can spend our whole lives living with the illusion that if I can just have a bit more money, I'll be all right. If I can just do this, I'll be, everything will be rosy. If I can just get this bit sorted out, happy days. And then we chase these illusions for years and years and years. If I can just get to retirement, that'll be the promised land. If I can just go on holiday, everything will be okay. I'm so busy at the moment, but next week's going to be quieter. <laughs> next week never comes. We live in an illusion. And it's good to get to that point where you're actually disillusioned. You know, I've met ministers, church ministers, who seem to go from one church to the next. Oh, well, that church was too small. Oh, this church is too big. This church, the people were like, that. This church, people like that. <laughs> Keep on moving. What's the one common denominator? The minister. Did it ever occur that it might be you that's the problem? <laughs> when you come to your senses, when you come to yourself, you look in the mirror. You face the facts. You stop running. You stop being... In living in an illusion. That can be tough to do. But it's what God wants to bring us to. Now this man comes to his senses, we're told. <clears throat> he could have gone on and looked for the next job, but he realised he would run out of options. He thinks, how many of my father's hired servants had food, and not only enough, but food to spare? plenty of food, <clears throat> and here I am, starving to death. <clears throat> I will set out and go back to my father. Now this was not repentance. He wasn't sorry for what he'd done. He was just hungry. <laughs> He's just starving. And he thought, I'll go back. And so he goes back to his father, and he prepares his speech Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. That'll sound good, won't it? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. He's got a plan. He's got a scheme. But even in his turning back to his dad, even in starvation, he's still in control. He's still wanting to call the shots. He still says, I've got a plan. But at least 
he's going back to his father. At least he's going back to dad. He doesn't intend to go back to be a son, he intends to go back to be a servant. He thinks, I will earn my way back into dad's good books. Now, he risked having been completely cut off by the family, but he said, I'm going to go back. We're going to stop this story there. We're going to pick it up next week. But I want to say this. Jesus did what the prodigal sons did. He left his father. He left behind his home in heaven where he knew he was loved. He left behind the worship of angels. And he came to a distant country. He left his home and went far, far away. The start of Luke chapter 15, people are muttering about Jesus. They're saying, he hangs around with sinners. That's exactly what he was doing. He'd gone to the distant country and was hung around with the scum that you might find in Pembury. <clears throat> He'd gone. And Jesus didn't commit sin. He didn't squander his life, but he did give his life away. And he, while he did nothing wrong and was an obedient son, he took sin on himself. And as Jesus comes back to the Father, via the cross, he's wanting to bring you back to. So you might say, and many people do, I don't want to go back to God. Maybe I was brought up as a Christian, whatever. I don't want to go back because I'd be a hypocrite. Be a hypocrite. Don't worry about it. God knows I'm a hypocrite. God knows I've got mixed motives. Just come. Swallow your pride. Or if you won't, just do what you, know, you absolutely need to do. Come back to the Father. Come back to dad. Jesus is bringing you back. Jesus came to bring you back. Love came down so that you can find love even in a distant country. And he wants to bring you back home. Do you hear the cry of the Holy Spirit today? In your heart? In my heart? Only you can make those steps. Only you can make the journey. No one else can do it for you. When I was two, we moved to a house. Uh, so in Newcastle, moved to a house. <clears throat> it was opposite a Greyhound Stadium, and just nearby there was a Metro Centre. And uh, I was there from two to the age of 11. And then we moved. Shortly after we moved, I heard this story the daughter of the people who bought the house from my mum and dad <clears throat> found a dead body behind the garage. She was just out and walked down a drive, found a dead body. And then it turned out that the dead body was a man who used to live in that house. And uh, he'd gone back to the one place he'd been happy. 
He was there as a young child and he'd been happy there. But then life took some bad turns. He went off the rails. Lost the plot. Eventually he came back home. But it was too late. He died there. No one believed me when I told them at school. <laughs> and then they saw it in the newspaper. Oh, that's true. Come back home. Come back before it's too late. Just come. And don't overthink it. <laughs> don't, don't say, oh, I can't because of X, Y, and Z. Do you know what? Get over yourself. Come to your senses. Come back home. Come to your dad. Come to daddy God. You might be fearful of what reception you're going to get. We'll find out next week. <laughs> Come back to your dad. Let's pray. Father. Father. Father God. Holy Spirit, move. We just bless you. Father, you're moving in this place. I want to thank you for how you are leading us back to Father. Start with me, Lord. Lead me back to Father. Lead me back to Dad. I'm sick of being in a distant land where I don't know if anyone's going to accept me or like me or love me. I just want to come back home. I'm tired and I just want to come back home. Lord, lead us. Whether we're Pembury born and bred, whether we're visiting, whether we're from Hertfordshire, whether we're, wherever we're from, Lord, lead us. I thank you. Holy Spirit is moving in us today, <coughs> as he so faithfully does. He, she, he is awesome. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you to move freely in this church, in our lives. The key to so much of our issues is to discover that Father wants us back. Your dad is calling you. Holy Spirit, bless you. Bless you, bless you. Praise you, praise you. Hallelujah. So no one else can do this journey but you. No one else can force you into it. But just know that Jesus has come. He's come to your distant land. He's not going to condemn you. But he will accompany you back to Father. So come with Jesus.